Well, welcome to church, everybody. How you like this weather this weekend? This is what summer's about, isn't it? Thank God it's arrived. Welcome to church. It's nice to see you. Uh, and one service for a change. Hopefully nobody. Did anybody show up at 830 this morning and come back? No? Okay, good. Sounds like everybody got the memo. Um, James 2, 9 through 13, James 2, 9 through 13, while you're turning, how many of you took the SAT in, or in high school, rather? SAT, folks? Okay, myself, I'm included. How many of you took the ACT? Okay, everybody, oh, wow, okay, they both have been around quite some time, <laughs> it appears. I'm not going to tell you who I was looking at when I said that, okay? I'm not going to tell you. All right. So, I took the SAT. Just imagine um, taking either SAT, ACT, and getting one question wrong and discovering that you were given a zero. That you were given a zero for one question. Um, How would you feel about that? Would you call to discuss that with someone? I would. And what if they told you they weren't going to do anything for you? Would you ask to speak with their supervisor? That's what I would. How many of you do that, right? <laughs> Can I speak with your supervisor? <laughs> it's kind of fun, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you, of course you would ask to speak to the supervisor. Now, what if I told you that as shocking as that kind of system might be, that God's system was like that? God's system's like that. Let me explain. Verse 9 of James chapter 2, But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, one point, has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, You've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act. Sounds like our benediction. As those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We're going to unpack this today. If you're feeling bad already. If you're guilty of one part of it, you're guilty of all of it. I'll fix that before we leave, okay? You'll leave happy as a lark, I promise. Let's pray. Father, just ask that as we get into your word, you'll illuminate our darkness, Lord, that you'll forgive our sins, that you will convict us, Holy Spirit, to repent and to change. Transform us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in today's text, we have James talking about murder and adultery specifically, okay? Uh, Kind of all-in sins, aren't they? I mean, you've either committed murder or you haven't, right? Um, There's there's no way to commit murder like at, say, 72%. Either you do it or you don't. Same way with adultery. It's all or nothing. And I think, I think... I'm not certain, but I think James may have used these two examples that are all or nothing kinds of sins to remove the possibility of the listener in our minds uh, becoming little defense attorneys for ourselves. 
Because it's hard to talk your, your way out of that case, isn't it? And, and so, in, in other sins that we might say are more uh, subjective, uh, more uncertain, uh, less uh, demonstrative, we might say things like this, for example. Hey, I'm only partially guilty. The rest is, is her fault. Hey, um, you know, the, I, I just don't know that that's sin now that I think about it. And, and we, again, fight the legal battle in ourselves. Uh, for, for others, given the same sin, we want justice. But when it comes to us, we start advocating for ourselves. We negotiate. We make excuses. James is making the point, though, that we're not all not guilty. We're all what? We're all guilty. How's that sit with you? He's saying, church, wake up. There's either a betrayal or there isn't. Um, he's saying there's sin and there's being without sin. There's perfection and there's imperfection. It's all or nothing with God. There are only two categories with no room in the middle. He's saying God's law is clear. Either you're perfect or you're imperfect. You cannot pick what you're good at and use those things to bolster your credibility and then pick what somebody else is bad at and use that to harm them because, hey, after all, I'm immune to that particular sin. He's saying nobody is immune. This isn't about comparisons to others. Uh, comparison, as you know, is always unhealthy, always. Um, what happens when you compare yourself to someone that you believe is better off than you? You become what? Yeah, you become jealous, envious, deflated, defeated, despairing, depressed. It's a lot of D's, wasn't it? What happens when you compare yourself to somebody who's worse off than you? Get a little high on your horse, don't we? Get a little cocky, get a little prideful. So to be clear this morning, I hope you're seeing what James is saying. He's saying we all fit in this category over here called the category of the imperfect. And there's only one person further who fits over here in the category of perfect, and that is Jesus Christ. Everybody on this side has fallen short. He's the only one who stands perfect, pure, clean, undefiled. Got it? Okay. He says it this way in Matthew 5, 48. Be what as your heavenly Father is what? Be perfect. Be perfect. You hear people say all the time, I'm basically, I'm, I'm basically a good person. There's a country crooner out there right now singing the same thing in a, in a song. I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. People are good. Okay? Um, what I would encourage you to do is not change the subject. Because I think that's what we resort to, that logic, that argument. I'm basically a good guy. I'm basically a good, a good gal. 
um, James is saying, hey, don't talk about your relative goodness, please. We're talking about the perfect and the imperfect. Those are the only two uh, categories. And, and I would add that when we compare ourselves to Christ, we see clearly. That's really the only good, great, effective comparison to make is comparing ourselves to Jesus. We see cleanly how we fit into the adjacent category. Um, there's sinners, there's Jesus. It's obvious. James is saying, even if you do something as seemingly benign, as seemingly benign as partiality, you're guilty of all the law. You're guilty of breaking every one of God's commandments. Look at verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James is telling the church at Jerusalem where he's pastoring. Unbelievable story. Unbelief. Jesus gave him swirlies. He's like, how could I think that guy's God, right? Two, after the resurrection, belief that his older brother was God. And now he's pastoring. And he's telling his church at Jerusalem, speak and act as those who are to be judged. All of us will be judged by Jesus Christ, the perfect one. Did you know that? We won't all be condemned by Jesus Christ. But every one of us will be judged by Jesus. One day, the Bible is clear, we will stand before him. And we will be judged. Um, I heard a poignant illustration at one point that was impactful for me as a high school student. It communicated how awful and uncomfortable this judgment may be. Isn't that re remarkable that we remember some things we were taught in high school? That's why people like Adam are very important. People like Jocelyn are very important. That's why your volunteerism is very important because childlike convictions are maintained oftentimes through adolescence. We remember things as, in, as adults that we were taught as kids. And I remember this illustration. Can you imagine getting to heaven and, and all you see is a huge room full of filing cabinets? And it's your turn to be judged. And Jesus walks over to file cabinet number 3,472,000 and so forth. And so, ah, there's your name, Zachary Burris. And he pulls out every sin out of this filing cabinet that you've ever committed and just begins reading them one after another, after another, after another, after another painful process or easy process. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. Right? Painful process, okay? But, but, the Bible teaches, and that would take some time, would it not? I mean, especially for people like Mike Snyder. I mean, he's going to be there a while, okay? Those of us who confessed our sins, however, and turned away from them to Jesus Christ, and to our freedom, the Bible describes what happens next at that judgment place as the activity that happens on a wheat threshing floor. And the Bible teaches that what is unuseful, the chaff, is going to blow away like the wind. It's going to be burned up. It's not going to be held against 
the people of God. But the useful components of, of, of the threshing process, and I don't even pretend to be an expert, see Jason Cavadini for more information. The useful and purposeful parts of that process were then going to be rewarded for. The good that we've done in our lives. Is this starting to get a little better news for us or not? This is good news. So at the end of our lives, for the Christ follower, every bad paper on file will be burned because it was dealt with on the cross. The good and noble deeds that we've done will thereafter be rewarded. What a deal, yes or no, that we'll receive at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness, rewards, heaven. Um, but we read in the scriptures, not so with the wicked, they are like the what? The chaff that the wind drives away. So we've all been lied to. We've all been told that all religions have good, effective truths to grasp onto, that they're all basically the same. It's not true. All religions don't save. Jesus alone saves. God does not love everyone forever. Forever. He is perfect. He is holy. And from the source of his holiness, he will judge with his wrath those who have not repented for their sins. It's out of his cleanliness. It's out of his purity. It's out of his righteousness that he cannot tolerate the unrepentant sinner. The individual that doesn't acknowledge him, does not depend on him, does not obey him. The ones that remain in their life on earth in an attitude of defiance toward him, uh, they don't have the, the good news that you and I do. And Jesus, I want to reassure you, is the good judge. And while it grieves me to think of this reality, he will send people to hell. He will. It is Jesus who decides who goes. It is Jesus who decides how hot it will be. It is Jesus who decides the sentence. It is Jesus who will govern, who will rule there, not Satan. Satan and his demons will be punished there, and there will be room, the Bible teaches, for you and I, if we don't turn to Christ for salvation. Jesus talked you hear, it's just almost astonishing. You hear people say, Jesus was all about love. Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in all the scriptures. So if we're talking about Jesus Christ, we have to acknowledge that this is a real physical place. And we can't continue to believe the lie. I'm a good person with a good heart who's lived a good life. Because it's a damning lie, according to the scriptures. This one that we believe. It's untrue. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot vindicate ourselves. We are in danger if we don't repent and trust in Jesus for salvation. It is my job to tell you this. Sometimes I feel like I'm the dentist coming after your teeth. Levi just got a report. He's got to go back. He doesn't know the full scope of what he's going back to. But he's going back. I don't want to be that guy 
But this is my responsibility as your pastor to teach the truth. It's my job, though it be unpopular, to tell you that you have to make a decision while living on this earth to accept Jesus. And when you do, and here's where we start getting joyful again. When you do, we are reassured that mercy will triumph over judgment. Good news or bad news? That's great news. That's exciting news. There is a remedy. There is an opportunity to get something wonderful at the judgment seat instead of something dreadful. There's an opportunity. There's hope, and it is in the sweet mercy of Jesus Christ. That is him giving us not what we deserve, or him rather withholding from us what we do deserve. That's his mercy. I'll read you from Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. While we were still sinners, Christ died. I was going to pull up a lyric from that song we sang this morning, but his love is like a hurricane. We sang that. It is a force to be reckoned with. It pursues us. It comes after us. Oh, how he loves us so that he did this. He rescues us. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. And if you're wondering what that love looks like, just close your eyes this morning and imagine the king of all kings seated in authority over everything, leaving that rightful place and coming down to earth and suffering and dying in order to make his enemies overhear his friends. That is what Jesus did. 1 John 4.10 says, It's not that we loved God, but God loved us. Christianity begins with God's pursuit, with God's love of us. See, when I tell you that we're all sinners, deserving judgment, that shouldn't make you angry. That should make you grateful. Amen? Grateful that he who is in every way obedient substituted himself for the rebellious, for us. I mean, we ought to have gratitude just oozing out of us for what Jesus has done. So there's something to be said for finding our identity in Christ. Yes, there is. For thinking positively, for seeing ourselves as Christ sees us. But this whole self-craze, self-help way of living in 2019, and it's been going on for 20, 30 years, this, this move toward everything about the self. It's self-delusional. It's not about us. We are not better than we thought. We ought not think that we're better. We're worse than we thought. That is what the Bible teaches. And we're also more loved than we thought. We're worse than what we thought. We're more loved than we thought. So Christ died for the ungodly. That is the gospel.
in our day, when this conversation comes up about love, this is how it's different than biblical love. I want you to hear God's heart. There's so much chatter about love today. And it's always equated with tolerance. Love equals tolerance, says society. Love equals tolerance. If you love me, you'll support me. You'll agree with me. You'll condone my behavior. You'll stand by me. You'll advocate for me. You'll take me as I am. And here is what is implied but never said. Don't ask me to change. Don't ask me to change. Let me tell you how God's love works. God's love begins with tolerance. It begins with it. He doesn't say, get cleaned up to approach me. He doesn't say, change your lifestyle to approach me. He doesn't say, get unaddicted to approach me. He says, come as you what? As you are to me. Whatever you've done, however you've failed, whatever you've broken, no matter your level of defiance and pitting yourself against me and rebellion, just come to me. God is, in his nature, tolerant. He's more tolerant than any human being has ever been. He welcomes through Jesus Christ anyone and everyone, no matter your religion, no matter your race, no matter your sexuality, no matter your income level, no matter your activity, that be sinful. He welcomes you. And then, then he moves past tolerance to transformation. In other words, you cannot receive the love of Jesus and not become more like Jesus. You can't receive his love and, and, and not start loving what he loves and start hating what he hates. God loved us so much that he doesn't just tolerate us, he transforms us. That's how much he loves us. And James is telling us, be like God. God is impartial. Don't let partiality get in the way of becoming Christ-like, of being like my older brother and doing what he's demonstrated. In other words, don't say, Jesus, I love you. But I love some races more than others. I prefer those of European descent. It's partiality. Jesus, I love you. But we have a marriage and kids, so we're only going to invest and spend time with and, and engage other married couples with kids. Jesus, I, I love you. I love all nations, but, but boy, do I love America. More so than all the other places. I know you love the nations, Jesus, but, but gosh, I, I, I'm partial. Jesus, I don't have time. I love you, but I don't have time for the poor among us. I just don't have time. 
I prefer to hang out with middle-class families, Jesus. There's just, I, I just can't get past the smell. James says, be like my brother. Don't show partiality. Amen? Father, we love you, Lord. Ben, could you guys come back and sing Oh How He Loves one more time? We love you, Lord. I just pray, God, that uh, we would see how vast and how deep and how high and how wide is your love for us. Nothing, nothing can come between us and your love. You pursue us. You are the hound of heaven. Holy Spirit, third person in the Trinity, we thank you for your conviction, for your power to witness. We thank you for being involved, being in us, living inside of us. We thank you for being our helper. I just pray, Lord, that you would let us heed James' words and become more like yourself. Help us, Lord, to love you, to adore you, to treasure you, and, and enable us to be transformed like you. God, help us be impartial. Lord, let us all confess that we have biases and proclivities that are contrary to the gospel. Lord, break down those walls those barriers in our hearts. Some of them are generations deep. God, rip them open. Change your church. Give us your values and ideals in the great, mighty, awful, dreadful, wonderful name of Jesus. Jesus.